Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Interventional Endoscopist. I'm your host, Simon Kubel Suchdave. So it's been a couple of weeks since I've uh, been able to post or come up with a topic, primarily because I was traveling with my family. And I think that's really important for all of the um, fellows and, and young physicians out there is to remember to take that time off, uh, recharge, refresh. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be cases to do till 11 o'clock at night if you want. But my sincere advice to you is to go ahead and, um, you know, enjoy your your family as well. Because once this is all over, no one's going to give two craps about who you are. <laughs> no one's going to care if you did 15 edge procedures in a day or, you know, two poems in, in 45 minutes, what, whatever, you know. So uh, some kind of context and uh, common uh, knowledge for most of you. Today, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, EUS guided liver biopsies. Um, and the purpose of my podcast has never really been about getting into too much of the data um, or getting into, in, I, I don't want to say the science of it, but you know, we're not, I mean, this is not a quote unquote scientific uh, podcast. This is more just kind of discussing what uh, kind of techniques and procedures and things that you can do and, and how you can grow your practice type stuff. And also it's just some, you know, realistic real world advice. I think a lot of times um, when we talk about therapeutic endoscopy and you go to conferences, um, my, my feeling is that, you know, a lot of what we do is dictated by great academic centers and, and those folks are extremely talented and, and do fantastic and amazing work. But a lot of times when you go to a conference and things are said or things are advised, it's not always practical to people in my situation, you know, people who are in a private setting or an employed setting. Um, but basically, U.S. liver biopsy um, is kind of the foundation for endohepatology, which if you're paying attention to social media and a lot of conferences, endohepatology is becoming a really... Um, important topic. In fact, so much so that later on in September of this year will be the first endohepatology course hosted at the ASGE and by the ASGE. And I think it's going to be called Endohepatology 101. Um, I would love to go, but unfortunately I don't have the um, bandwidth or the time to go. But I, I do think if anybody listening to this podcast is interested in endohepatology, that's something that you should really look into. Um, but specifically with liver biopsy, you know, my my uh, history with that is, as you may have know from previous podcasts, I uh, started my gastroenterology and hepatology career as a transplant hepatologist. Um, after medicine residency, I did one year of transplant hepatology, and in that year, I had to do a lot of liver biopsies. And, you know, they were ultrasound guided in the sense that we had an ultrasound machine in the um, uh, endo unit at Mayo. And they taught us how to find the liver and then, and you know, percuss it out, of course, and then uh, use the ultrasound to guide it, look for vessels, and then do a percutaneous uh, biopsy with a jam sheeting needle. Um, I learned a lot of techniques from that. And, you know, initially it was very frustrating, me as a, frustrating for me as a fellow because I wasn't able to get uh, adequate tissue. And a lot of times I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing, you know. Um, and as I studied it, I, I had a, I learned a lot. Um and then when I became an attending in the transplant department at the University of Tennessee, uh, more and more, the, the, the trend was to start sending them more and more to radiology, specifically the transjugular approach. But we still did percutaneous biopsies and we had a clinic. 
And in those days, you did it. Uh, you did it with either an ultrasound or uh, percussion. I insisted on having that ultrasound, but unfortunately, at Memphis, they wouldn't let me run the ultrasound. So a radiologist would have to come, or uh, actually not a radiologist, but a radiology technician or ultrasound tech. They would uh, do the ultrasound and put an X on the skin, and that's where I was supposed to go and uh, confirm it with percussion. I did a lot of them there. Had a couple complications, uh, bleeding complications and whatnot, but. Uh, you know, they, they were helpful. Um, we would do it. The patients often would have a little pain. They were not sedated for this. They felt like somebody was kicking them in the ribs. And then we would have to observe them in the post-op unit for up to four hours with them laying on their right side with a pressure bandage on because of the risk of bleeding. Um, so fast forward to the end of my GI fellowship and uh, less and less people were doing liver biopsies and we had a change of leadership in our liver department uh, because Dr. Caroline Riley, who was one of my mentors, uh, retired. And the new uh, chairman or slash chief of hepatology was more inclined to send them to radiology and so the practice over there changed. And nationally, I think if you query more and more GI fellows, I don't think a lot of them are doing liver biopsies like I did when I was training as many people who were training for 2010. And I think a lot of that has to do with a little bit easier um, procedure to be done by sending it to a CT-guided um, or an ultrasound-guided liver biopsy by radiology. But also, if you look at the reimbursement for liver biopsy, it's not a lot. Um, I think percutaneous liver biopsy pays somewhere between $50 to $60, and the risk doesn't justify what people are being paid. So I think you add that in there, you add the trend nationally to uh, do more colonoscopies and upper endoscopies because, you know, uh, that's where the revenue is at. And so liver biopsy has kind of become a lost, I won't say lost art because people still know how to do them, but it's become this procedure that we've given away to um, radiologists and other, um, other subspecialists. Um, speaking of that, there's a whole ton of procedures that we are giving away, uh, including paracentesis and pain tubes, which is a topic for another day. But anyway, so I started my fourth year, like I've said before, around 2009, and you know, we started doing liver biopsies with EUS of uh, metastatic lesions, initially with 25 gauge needles, and obviously those are not large enough or large caliber enough to get you good tissue specimens and whatnot. So I think, you know, people kind of we're still going along with uh, percutaneous liver biopsies by IR. And to be honest, they, they're using a 14 or a 16 gauge needle, which gives you a really nice thick lesion. And you can get something that's a centimeter to two centimeters long that gives you six to 12 portal tracts. Well, when you're using a 25 or 22 gauge liver biopsy needle, um, initially an FNA needle for that matter, a non-cutting needle, you are going to get great tissue specimens. And in 2010, the best core needle we had was something called the quick core made by Olympus, which uh, was very um, cumbersome to use. It was a uh, spring-loaded liver biopsy, or sorry, not just liver, but spring-loaded biopsy needle. Um, I believe it was 22 gauge, but I don't remember. And uh, it had this little tray that shot out of the tip of the needle, and then you would pull it back in, and that tray would hold tissue. Um, one of the uh, people who was really big in um, hep, uh, endoscopic ultrasound, Dr. Levy at a Mayo Clinic, Rochester, who unfortunately recently passed away a few months ago, um, 
taught at class one time at Rochester, and I, I was a, a new grad by fourth year, and I went to that, and he had set up this kind of uh, way to do the core biopsy with his quick core, and it was, let me tell you, it was, um, it was an art, and it was a production. He would literally, you know, how the patient uh, lay down flat, and he'd get a special table that was at the um, in line with the patient's mouth. He would get the scope exactly where he wanted it, and then he would lay the scope down on his table so that it was coming out of the mouth and it was even with, with the mouth. And there was only one bend in the scope, or maybe two. One was at the uh, oropharynx, and then the other one was wherever the tip of the scope was facing. And he would then... Um, you know, he'd have a needle placed in there and he had everything lined up and then he would literally get on his knees in the endo unit and fire the uh, the gun to kind of um, get the tissue. And even with that, it wasn't as good as a um, as a IR-guided biopsy. Um, and then, you know, came the evolution of the quick, uh, the uh, Procorino by uh, Cook, which has this kind of side port and... Uh, the thought process, it was more of a cheese grater type um, action. You'd go in there and it would scrape out tissue. And then obviously um, the two dominant um, needles on the market came out, Shark Core by uh, Beacon slash Medtronic and Acquired by Boston Scientific. There are other F&B needles available now that we can use. Um, <clears throat> one by um, Microtech I, called the Trident, and another one that Olympus, their EasyShot 3, can be used as an FNB needle as well, and I believe they're coming with a Francine tip needle as well. Um, so, you know, liver biopsy over the last few years has started to become more common. Uh, personally, if I talk about my experience, I've used, I've done about mm, probably over 150 uh, liver biopsies in the last three or four years, 90 of which I've done in the ablatory surgical center. Um, and to me, the advantages are several. Um, number one is obviously, you know, the, the age old one that everybody talks about that you're going to be doing an EGD. You can screen for varices in people that you're worried about portal hypertension. You know, a lot of these patients who do have, um, <clears throat> fatty liver also have other symptoms like bloating and heartburn and reflux and hiatal hernias, et cetera. So you can just do it at the same time that you're evaluating some other pathology. Secondly, um, and I feel like it's been safe. Um, I have had uh, two bleeding complications in the last, uh, I would say, eight or nine years uh, with FNA or FNB of the liver. Um, neither one of them were being done for, um, neither one of them occurred when I was actually trying to do uh, like a liver biopsy for portal tract part of triad measurement and whatnot. One of them actually happened during, uh, actually both of them happened during evaluation of what I thought were metastatic lesions. Um, and crazily enough, they were with very thin needles, 25 and 22 gauge respectively. Outside of that, um, I've used the 19 gauge needles for liver biopsies and I, it's, you know, knock on wood, it's been pretty uh, safe. Um, I have data, hopefully, you know, one day, you know, I'll be able to get down and <laughs> analyze it and publish it, but um, yeah, I can't really speak about it because I haven't looked at it yet. But, you know, we've done about 90 and, and really good results. And, you know, one of the um, kind of criticisms uh, I get or I've heard from colleagues is that it's not equivalent to a percutaneous biopsy. And certainly it's not a stake, but two recent publications came out 
one in an abstract form, or which was just basically, um, it was an abstract form. Now it's a paper that was just released on July 14th at uh, on the H American Journal of Gastroenterology, uh, published by Dr. Uh, Lorenzo Noya, um, and uh, as the first author and the second uh, final author was um, a senior author, I should say, was Dr. Enrique Dominguez Munoz, and that's uh, titled "The Quality of Tissue Samples Obtained by Endoscopic Ultrasound Guided Liver Biopsy: A Randomized Controlled Clinical Study." Um, that was, again, published on July 14, 2023. And if you go to American Journal of Gastroenterology and just type in liver biopsy on the websites, as of right now, it's the first uh, article that shows up. And a second article that um, came out was in an article in a journal called um, EUSJournal.com, or EUSJournal, and um, or endoscopic ultrasound. And the website's EUSJournal.com, and it's um, by Dr. Ahmad Ali as a senior or first author and the senior author is Dr. Ghassan Hamoud. And that's called EUS Guided versus Percutaneous Lower Biopsy Perspective Randomized. And that came out, that was published on uh, November 14th of 2022. Um, or actually, I should say it was published on July 25th. It was submitted on, uh, in 2022. So on the um, Ali and Hamoud article, Basically, they they looked at um, 80 patients who were enrolled for liver biopsy, um, of which uh, almost 70% were female, um, and they randomized them to uh, liver biopsy um, versus percutaneous liver biopsy. And um, they noted that the number of clinical uh, um, complete portal triads was higher in the percutaneous biopsy, 17 versus 13, with a p-value of 0.031. And the number of patients or portion of patients in whom a diagnosis was established was similar between the two groups. And they concluded that it was safe, effective, better tolerated, and short associated, sorry, I can't speak today, and that's kind of bad for somebody who likes to podcast, <laughs> associated with a shorter hospital stay. So they did get more triads or percutaneous for sure. Um, but, you know, they the one thing is that when you do a percutaneous biopsy, the patient has to observe for a while under U.S. guided, we watch them for an hour. There's really no data. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, what's interesting also is the core lengths for both uh, uh, U.S. guided and percutaneous were simple, similar. Um, the total core length, so the, the core lengths of each individual specimen were seeing similar, 2.1 to 2.0 centimeters. The total core length was longer with percutaneous because they would do three passes versus two passes by the U.S. guided people. 60% um, of the people who had U.S. guided liver biopsies had complete uh, portal triads, or 11 complete uh, portal triads or more, and 75% uh, of those people in the percutaneous side did. The p-value was not significant at that point, but, you know, just, just for flavor. And histological diagnosis was equivalent in both groups. Um, but what was interesting is that the stay uh, in the percutaneous group was four hours, kind of what I alluded to earlier, which was is probably standard practice for most percutaneous biopsies. And in liver biopsy, in, in um, U.S. guided, it was 2.0. Um, 13, 13 out of there, the patients with liver biopsies, percutaneous liver biopsies, had symptoms afterwards and only seven did so 
and neither group had any significant adverse effects. Um, so, so similar. Again, the thing in favor of percutaneous is more photo uh, triads. In the other study, the one with uh, Noya slash uh, Munoz or Dominguez Munoz, uh, they looked at 90 patients and they were randomized to each 44 and 46 respectively. And um, they looked at the percentage of adequate tissue samples. And in their hands, which I find a little surprising, but only 32% of people uh, with percutaneous liver biopsies uh, had adequate tissue sampling and 70.4% or 70% in the U.S. group had adequate tissue samples. Um, and the number of complete portal triads was similar in both groups. Um, and in their hands, the total um, length was longer with the U.S. So a little bit different results. Um, this one, obviously, more in favor of the U.S. versus the other one, which is in favor of the U.S. and saying it's safe. But, you know, a few things were a little bit better with percutaneous. So I, th I think, obviously, as more data comes out and eventually with two studies now, that means that there's going to be another one coming up and there'll be uh, a few of the notorious guys who like to do meta-analyses and that'll be done next and then we'll get some answers. So I, I, I do think this is a viable thing, and um, I do think it's something that we're going to uh, get better at. And obviously, I think uh, as industry kind of catches up, there probably will be some innovations that make a needle better for a liver biopsy. They're, maybe they're able to generate a thicker needle, although I'm not 100% sure how you're going to do that because the scope channel is fixed for most of these. But as we go, you know, we're in a world right now where we have disposable ERCP scopes, so maybe we get to the point where we have disposable EUS scopes. Already there's a company called Endosound that's making, you know, this uh, tip or this um, uh, disposable cap for uh, scopes that can do EUS. And, you know, think about if you can put that on a therapeutic scope with a 4-centimeter channel or a 3.9-centimeter channel, then maybe you can get a, a 17, 18, 16-gauge needle uh, through that to that uh, channel, then you can do a better biopsy. So I, I think there's a lot to be expected in the next three to four years in terms of how we can get a thicker specimen. But if you get the same number of portal trials, is it enough? And then, you know, the other debate that's uh, out there is, will we even need to do liver biopsies as artificial intelligence and fiber scan get better? You know, maybe there is a way that ultrasound or EUS can look at it and take the tissue or the ultrasound view and take a fiber scan and put them together and give you some kind of artificial intelligence mapping or idea of what the fibrosis score is or the fat content, et cetera. I mean, you know, it's just, it blows my mind when you think about what artificial intelligence will be doing when you add maybe MRI data, CT scan data, fiber scan data, and EUS data. If you could get all those pieces of data plugged into some kind of program that can interpret it, do you even need to do biopsies? So, I think, but that's not here today, and that's probably not going to be here for uh, several years. And so I think what we have today, um, I do think, you know, doing an EUS guided liver biopsy in the appropriate setting is something that we should be considering expanding our practice into. And I think, like I said, it's the gateway to endohepatology. And unfortunately, now we've got um, portal pressure measurements. And as more competition comes out to the existing device, uh, I think we'll see better development, and I do think we'll see better tools come out. I was chatting with uh, one of our EUS colleagues in India uh, via Twitter, and 
Dr. Rathi, R-A-T-H-I, really, really bright guy, and uh, really, um, in my opinion, uh, some of his days are really good work in PGI Chandigarh, which is in North India. Uh, him and Dr. Dar, uh, Javi Dar, the two of them are doing a lot of nice studies and, and uh, doing a lot of good stuff for the U.S. And he's actually been able to take the stuff that's available at IR and use it on EUS to get, you know, waves and things like that. And I think that's the next step. And certainly as uh, more, you know, as Cook, who makes our current um, uh, device, who makes Generation 2 and Generation 3, it'll get better. And then obviously the other competitors will probably throw their collective hats into the ring as well. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of exciting things that come out, not only for liver biopsy, but also portal pressure measurement. And, you know, in Spain... Um, I'm not sure they're still doing this, but gastroenterologists and hepatologists do their own TIPS procedures. So is that something that we're going to see? I, I don't know if that'll come to the U.S. because of liability issues, but um, it's something that is being done globally. So I, I, I think that, you know, um, really exciting times for all of this. Um, so that being said, um, that's just kind of my experience with liver biopsy, at least so far in my understanding of the data or the the articles that are out there. Again, you know, I don't do this podcast to go deep into data. Um, there's several other ones that do that. And, and honestly, I'm just playing to my strengths. I'm not good with that kind of stuff. And I'm learning it and I'm, every day I'm a little bit better at it. But um, um, I, I kind of sit that part out of it. Uh, as long as I can understand, you know, everything else about it, I'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it is something that I do. And I, I think it's something that we should be... Uh, you know, taking back, just like I really strongly feel that we should take peg tubes back from other subspecialties. I think we should probably take paracentesis back. But, you know, to each their own of that. <laughs> um, so, again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know, in this situation, I always say, you know, please uh, participate with your societies, ASGE, ACG, in this situation, ASLD. And also fight, which has an endohepatology division as well. Um, if you can make it to the um, EU, uh, the ASGE's uh, endohepatology course, it's at the end of September. Uh, the information is on their website. Um, I'm not involved with it. I'm not a teacher or a faculty member uh, of it. Um, but uh, you know, the two folks who are uh, uh, teaching it are excellent and. Uh, I've met both of them, and they're just really great minds, and I think that'll be a good course for people who have interest in that field. Um, and finally, uh, my public service announcement to all physicians and nurse practitioners, PAs, you know, healthcare is stressful. Um, there's a lot going on, and, um, you know, we all have our challenges in that, so definitely if you're struggling, get some help. Um, yeah, so thank you again, and I... Uh, um, I look forward to our next podcast, which should come out in about 10 to 12 days. Um, I believe my next one that I'm going to do is going to be a interview. And then um, there will be another one that I'll do talking about an experience I had recently in teaching a fellows course up in Chicago uh, that Boston Scientific sponsored. So I look forward to sharing my experience on that with you as well. So thank you again and uh, take care and um, we'll, we'll chat soon.